This episode of the Tony Robbins Podcast is brought to you by Tony Robbins Results Coaching. Are you ready to experience an extraordinary quality of life? Or maybe you're already doing well, but you know you can take your life to a whole new level. To do that, you have to set yourself up to win. You need a process, a way to consistently grow and produce the results that you need. That's what a Tony Robbins Results Coach can do for you. Whatever area in your life you want to change, your relationship, your health, your career, your business, coaching is one of the most valuable tools you can have. It's an investment in yourself, and it can yield some of the highest returns. Tony Robbins Results Coaches are hand-selected and trained by the master of coaching, Tony Robbins himself, to have the skills that will empower you with supreme focus, powerful insight, and the accountability needed to achieve everything you've ever dreamed. To help you get started, Tony is offering podcast listeners a free results coaching strategy session with one of his top coaches. It's a $200 value, and you're getting it for free. Visit TonyRobbins.com results. Schedule that free session today. Welcome back to the Tony Robbins Podcast. In this episode, we're bringing you the second part of Tony's conversation with the world-renowned psychiatrists, Dr. Gerald Jampolsky and Dr. Diane Serencioni. This husband-wife team founded the Attitudinal Healing International, a network of centers now in 200 cities within 27 countries. Together, they've published a number of books on love and forgiveness, including several bestsellers, and have been awarded some of the industry's most prestigious honors. In this episode, you will learn more about the power of letting go of the past, staying focused on the future, and adopting the attitudes and mindset that will greatly enhance the meaning in your life. You guys uh, both talk a lot about retraining the mind. Um, what are some of the strategies you've developed for retraining your own minds and really conditioning yourselves to operate from the attitudes that really enhance the quality of life and give meaning to life versus the attitudes that are destructive and tear down what's really valuable in your lives? Well, certainly it's recognizing that I'm not a victim of the world. So often I felt I was a victim. It's really getting rid of blame and guilt, not seeing value in guilt and blame anymore. Right. It means not interpreting people's behavior. It means taking all these measuring sticks I've used about myself and other people and burying them and not using them. But, but really seeing there's, there's a choice of whether I'm going to experience love or fear. That's really a choice. Choice whether I'm going to experience peace or conflict. I'm not going to give my power away to someone else to decide how I'm going to feel. I didn't really decide that myself. It's a choice whether I'm going to be a love finder or fault finder, love giver or love seeker. And if I really recognize what my purpose here is to teach only love, that kind of mind training, I think, becomes very significant as we begin to discipline ourselves each day. Sure, we make mistakes, but we can fall down and pick ourselves up again. And when we're going in that direction, what happens is we begin to find that inner peace inside, and then the world we see then becomes different. So you become your message instead of just speaking it. I do think that what we see out there is really dependent on our thoughts. What we believe is what we see. And so we need to look back at some of those belief systems we've had and some of the values we've held on and take a whole new look at those things and see which ones really help. Certainly most of my life I thought guilt was a very important thing to hold on to. And I realized the first step in letting go of that is not to see value in guilt. As a matter of fact, the attraction of guilt really produces the fear of love. This is one of the problems around love is that we're so attracted to guilt we don't feel ourselves lovable or connected with each other or with our source. And I, this is the problem that many of us have. I'll add on a few things to that, and I think when we talk about guilt, 
uh, people get confused where they say, well, wait a minute, you're talking about my morals, my values, or what I believe in. Because We're talking about guilt, which is a manipulative tool to try and control another person or ourselves. And the only reason we hold on to guilt, which is a belief system. I agree. Uh, it's not like the tooth fairy comes along and drops a belief system on you in the middle of the night. You've chosen to accept this belief system for one reason or another. And that we hold on to it because somewhere it serves us. Somewhere there's value in it. And people get extremely shocked when they realize that, wait a minute, I've been feeling this guilt all these years. You mean that I'm choosing to hold on to it? Yes, you are. And there's a reason. So when they can finally no longer see value in it, they're able to really let go of it, stop playing the game of guilt. And it's usually someone they're playing with wants to keep playing like a tug of war. Right. But if you drop one in, that person has a choice too. They can either drop it also or they can go out and find someone else to play with. Two other areas I wanted to add to what you said before, Jerry. One of the things that's helped me as a businesswoman now is to, instead of having conflicting goals, is to set just one goal. And that goal now is peace of mind, peace of God every day. And every other goal that I used to have now becomes my intention. Right. And with it being an intention, it means that I'm no longer attached to the result of the Seems ultimate outcome. Totally. Results, yeah. Of course, because I'm no longer living in the ultimate outcome and missing the everyday experience of, of living. And the other category I think that we really focus on each day to try and, you know, live these principles is to really look at the nature of reality and what is real. And, you know, in my mind, in my experience, the only thing that's real is that which doesn't change. The only thing I found that doesn't change is whatever this loving force is that created us. Because everything else is going to change. This room's going to change, you're going to change, I'm going to change. Everything is in constant change. So minimally, it's perceptual. So as I see the world, Tony, and you see it, and Jerry sees it, and our listeners and viewers see it, that it's really minimally a perception, which is also really kind of distorted by my past experiences. And I have these lenses on this camera of my mind, which have all different filters on them. Each day you're stacking more filters. Totally. Now, I would say all the loving experiences I have and all the healed relationships I've worked on in my life are clear filters, really. They're not going to block or distort anything. But all the unhealed ones and the negative experiences that I've had that I haven't dealt with yet are going to have a distortion. So when I look at you, I'm not really seeing you. I'm sort of seeing you. But what I'm doing is projecting out my past experiences, and what's happening is it's reflecting back to me. So perception is a mirror, not a fact. And so it helps me to remember that everything I'm looking at in the world is really filtered through the screen of my experience. And there's no other person that sees it that way. And so we're trying to really learn, not trying, we actually are living each day and working hard at it, to see each person's degree of perception as totally relevant and meaningful as our own, even though we might not understand it. And maybe they're at 180 degrees in direct opposition to us. That's how we have a full spectrum of life, though, we is having do. so many different perceptions right. out there. But I don't have to make them wrong in order to make me right. right. I just know that they're different. And another thing that we find is important in retreating the mind is really asking people to focus on their purpose in life. What is it? One way of asking that question is if, if this is going to be your last day on Earth and you're going to die at midnight and someone is going to write one sentence about you, what would you want them to say? And we ask this to businessmen oftentimes, and it's very interesting. They don't say they wanted to have more companies or be on more board of directors or have had more money. <laughs> or that they should have worked harder. <laughs> yeah. What they say is they would like to be remembered about how much they cared, how much they loved, how much they really helped other people. 
a lot of them found what they wrote down was not in harmony with how they lived, lived their every life. single day of their life. And right. so all of a sudden, there's some homework there to, to change that priority. That's right. Because I think we really have to each day focus uh, on really what our, what our purpose is. I agree. And we live in such an achievement, um, me first oriented kind of society that it really becomes very important to, to really begin to say, isn't it more valuable to have the same interests in the other person as we do ourselves? I think also you find people out there who aren't achieving just for themselves, but they're still putting achievement so they can finally give to someone else. I know I was guilty of that. My thing was, I'll achieve and do all these things, contribute and make a difference, and then eventually I can be happy. And one day, I made the reverse. I thought, you know, what if I happily achieved and made a difference? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll make a bigger difference than I did before. So what, what made you reverse that? was looking at, first as pain, seeing that it didn't work, that I was helping everybody else, but I wasn't feeling the way I wanted inside. And then second was just looking at what my values were and realizing that that belief that I had to do everything for the rest of the world before I gave to me actually caused me to give less. Even though I didn't want to believe that, I one day finally got clear that was true. But I think that I have to agree with you 100%. Everything I'm about is teaching people to get clear about their purpose and their values and live within those values on an ongoing basis so they have a sense of meaning. And one of the challenges, I think, is that most people look at negative emotions, what they call negative, um, as something that's attacking them, and they do one of two things. Either suppress them, or try to avoid them, which never works, or they waller in them, or compete with people. You think you're bad? Let me tell you my story. You know, I'll tell you what really bad is. I'll show you what it is. And what I think is that all emotions have their place, including fear, including resentment. But I think what they're doing is they're giving us a call to action that we've got to change something right now. Either we have to change our perceptions, we have to change our actions. So in your mind, I'd be curious, why do we have fear? I think our ego has created fear. Okay. And I think the moment we ever felt separated, whenever that happened right. from that source, that's when fear began. When fear began, all of a sudden, we became attached to these bodies that were moving in linear time, and we believe that when you die, that's the end of the line. Uh, and I think much of our fear, as Diane was saying earlier, has to do with our, with our feelings of, of, of separation. When I think one of the things we if we're going to find that peace of mind, is to find another way of looking at, at death, another way of looking at life. And my life has been really fulfilled very much at our Center of Atonian because we see so many children who are facing life-threatening illnesses and many children with AIDS. And they've taught us so much uh, about other ways of looking at the world. There's a kid we saw in Atlanta, Georgia, for example, who had come close to dying with sickle cell anemia many, many times. And we asked him, what was it like to be that close to dying and living? You remember that story, Diane? Yeah, he said, um, he said, I think that life is like a giant library, that when you're born, uh, the library belongs to God, and when you're born, your parents come and they take you out. He said, and you know how some books have a long due date and some books have a short due date? <laughs> and when your date is due, you just go back home to the library of God where you never really left in the first place, and then you're one with all souls. But when you're out there, you know, you're learning how you learn from the book. And right. He really had it all in perspective. And this young man, Kerry, is now in graduate school and wanting to become a pediatrician because he really knows that giving and receiving are the same. And as he, he has learned to go out and help another person, he's learned to help himself. And he really wants to find a way to give back. That's wonderful. And the reason he didn't feel fear, because he felt this interconnection with his source. He says, right. if you really feel always one with God, then there's nothing to fear. And he really didn't fear death. It's not that he wanted to die. But he didn't fear it because he always knew that, that life is really eternal, that love is eternal, and that death is just like leaving your body aside. That was his belief. Well, I, I think that the whole idea of staying connected is what heals people most. And I remember, again, hearing a story that you talked about where I think it was a woman who had massive pain, physical pain. I think she was suffering from cancer. And I believe you had her look around the room and just love everyone, not expecting anything back, not for any reason. And you weren't going to ask her questions. Did she do it right? 
Uh, maybe you can allude to a little bit about that well, story. Well, it was a situation where this woman had metastatic cancer and, and she wanted to get rid of her pain. And I said, well, how about wanting peace of mind? Would you be willing to have peace of mind for a second? And he said, well, gee, I haven't experienced that in years. <laughs> and I said, well, would you be willing just for one second just to look around the room with everyone here and just concentrate and just give them love. Just have your heart just send full of hearts and having everyone else in the room do the same to her. Not to evaluate, because once you start to evaluate love, it disappears. You know how many couples get together, who gives the most, who doesn't give the most by the measurement. And a fascinating thing happened at the end of the t session. She said, I just got to tell everyone, not only did my pain go away, but I felt peace in a way that I never felt before. She was concentrating not on her body, or what happened to her yesterday, or what might happen to her tomorrow. She was concentrating on this one moment of giving her heart to other people. That is the magic. In fact, remember the definition of a miracle. Right. right. A miracle is a shift in perception that removes the blocks to the awareness of love's presence in our life. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> so, so it's getting rid of the blocks, and that's what she did then. That's nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about, more about physical healing then. Um, we worked with uh, Norman Cousins, and we talked quite a bit about his work and how we can really heal our bodies, starting with our minds, starting with our hearts. You've had quite an incredible background of experience. Tell me, what are the attitudes that really seem to heal, that seem to make the difference physically in us, and how does that work from your perspective? Well, let's be clear, at our center, we redefine healing differently. We say, health is inner peace. That's yes. what healing's all about. Yes. It's inner peace. And healing is learning to let go of fear. So our position is not trying to help people change their bodies. That oftentimes happens when this happens. But our real focus is helping people let go of fear and to bring about peace of mind. And many miracles sometimes happen along that, that line. And it's fascinating when people are in a self-help group and they're helping each other, how much peace they feel in a way that they never felt before because they know they're not alone and they know they're in a consciousness of giving. When you have positive mental pictures in your mind, this affects the immune system. Yes. When you let go of fear and have love in your body, this affects the immune system. So we're finally, finally getting documentation of this, which is really exciting. We tend to get whatever we focus on, including our physical body. So when we focus on our fear, we start to head for that wall, including disease. You had, when we talked earlier today, had a great phrase about that. Right, I had, I had heard it from Robert Bly, and it says that the body weeps the tears the eyes never shed. And I think we can really identify with that. So many of us hold and harbor so many things inside of our bodies that haven't yet come to the surface, our emotional surface of our minds. I'm just thinking out loud about an uh, experience we had. There's a woman named Sharon Winter who was just like a daughter to me. She had the lymphoma and uh, she died when she was around 22 and she stayed in our house many times and became very close to my, my sons. And my youngest son, Lee, was having a, uh, a party, first getting his PhD in psychology. She wanted to come to the party. Now, she was in the hospital, really dying. I saw her that morning and, and she was on uh, IV drip from morphine and she said, well, I'm going to try to get the party. And I, I didn't know she'd make it the rest of that day. Parties at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, she shows up with her mother with makeup on, stood up for, for three hours. No one ever knew that she was sick. The next day I saw her in the hospital, she was back there again, and she died about a couple of weeks later. But you know, when the mind is determined, it doesn't pay any attention to your blood chemistry or what's going on. The mind really controls the body. This is what we really need to understand. It's not the body that controls the mind. So if, you, if there's someone that you know that's needing physical healing and you really love them and care about them, Oh, and you're a doctor. What is the doctor's number one priority in helping a patient to heal in your mind? The number one priority is, no question about it, is to not see that person as guilty, to be given total acceptance, total love, and forgiveness. I think that's our primary function 
in the relationship for that person who comes in with whatever symptom that they have. Not to see the shadow of the past that most people carry on within themselves. That's the biggest gift we can give another person is our own peace of mind, our own unconditional love. I think that's the biggest gift we can give another person. I remember um, when you were, I think it was when you were in medical school or shortly after, maybe you went to Korea, I think it was. You talked about how you noticed that a lot of, in medical school, a lot of the students began to come down with the very diseases that you guys were studying, yeah. like a third of the class. Very, very suggestible. You know, you're talking about tuberculosis or syphilis, whatever you right. <laughs> Certain numbers of the class would have it, because the mind's very suggestible, very suggestible. But also, at that same time, you had a great deal of fear of tuberculosis yourself. Yes, I, I had, And you had an experience that probably I, taught you for a lifetime yeah, not to I fear. I forgot about that. Uh, but I was in uh, Boston, an intern in... Uh, I was very afraid I was going to die of tuberculosis, and I had to be on the tuberculosis. My, my one thing I thought I wanted to take a deep breath, no breathe for a whole month, you know, because I was afraid I was going to get die. So they put you on the ward. You, you, whatever you resist persists, huh? So uh, what happened was, I guess it was the third day I was there in the middle of the night, I was called to see this woman who um, was an alcoholic and had uh, esophageal varices, and she vomited blood, and she was almost pulseless, and the oxygen machine wouldn't work, and I was, I was giving mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation and, and working on her, and she started to breathe, and everything worked out okay, and I went back to my quarters, and oh, my, my clothes was, was bloody, and I, I remember I wasn't scared once during that time. And I looked back at that and said, well, I was only in a consciousness of giving. And I was concerned about what was going to happen to me in the future or what might happen to me in the past. And it was a wonderful learning experience for me that I don't have fear if I'm totally focused on helping another person. And I let go of my absorption and identity with my body and think of in the abstraction of love. This is what it's all about. There's a wonderful expression that says, as you reach your hand out into the darkness to help another's hand back into the light, you discover that it's your own. Oh, that's wonderful. If you want a helping hand, look at the end of your arm. Huh? <laughs> that's nice. There's, uh, I remember reading, and I think it was uh, Teach Only Love. You told a story that really touched me when we cry. It was about uh, a gentleman who was really, his body was racked and rithered, and he'd been through some major physical traumas. And you're going in there to give him the physical help he needed, but you discovered that maybe he needed another level of help. Maybe you could share that story. I'm aware that. When I ask the little inner voice what it is I'm supposed to do and take it out of the technique aspect and I'm just there holding another person's hand and, and, and giving them the dignity of love, that there's something that happens in, in that room. It's almost like electricity goes on and a shift takes place in, in that person's perception that it has much more to do with love than it has to do with medication. And I, I didn't learn that in medical school because in medical school we didn't talk about love. <laughs> That's not a word that, that was used. We didn't talk about humility. They tend to treat doctors as to be godlike kind of uh, people. And I, I find that when I see everyone as my teacher, that that changes the whole aspect of the communication. Because I think love can't be experienced unless it's on, a, on an equal basis. It's not done vertically. It has to be equal. Connected. Interesting. Somebody said, gosh, there's so much good stuff here. How do I get my hands around it? Well, one thing I want to do is get your books, there's no doubt, and hopefully contact you at the center. But right now, what would be a set of lessons or a set of actions that people could take over the next seven days that if they're feeling a little frustrated right now or feeling a little separate or feeling a little alone or feeling a little overwhelmed or even a little ill, 
what would be a couple of beliefs or actions that they could take that you think might make a difference for them? Well, before we begin, maybe just a simple statement that our ego is going to want to say, well, it can't be that simple. No. And I'd like to remind your listeners that simplicity is very difficult for a confused mind to understand. <laughs> and it's really important to kind of keep it simple. And oh, that's when, great. When you keep it simple, it really kind of works. Yeah, I agree. So I would say to, to start the day, for sure, wanting peace of mind as your only goal. Now define that for a second, because a lot of people hear peace of mind as, ah, peace of mind, you know. Peace of mind is not having conflict, not having this battle of all these thoughts going this way and that way, uh, and anger here, and what should I do next? It means really feeling a sense of love and interconnectedness with all the universe. So if you're at peace of mind, what you really are is you're looking at how to share and give love throughout your day, and therefore it, you experience it, it? It's like feeling like you're in a beautiful lake, a clear lake in, the, in, the, in nature. It means really feeling a sense of oneness, a balance. Yes. No thoughts are disturbing you, and, and you just feel yourself consumed and breathing in and breathing out love. And I think during those few moments on the waking of the day, and we're talking about before you even get out of bed, to also do perhaps a little exercise about forgiving yourself as well as someone else. So what I'll often do, and Jerry will do, is to bring in my mind someone who I have a conflict with or maybe an unhealed relationship with, see that person surrounded in light, and say to that person, you know, I release you. I forgive you, I, for, I release myself, I forgive myself, and I thank you for the gift that you've come here to teach me. And then that person gets smaller and smaller in my mind and the light gets brighter and brighter. And then in that same light, I see an image of myself. And that image becomes the personality self, Diane, and this is the spirit self speaking. And we have a conversation, and each morning now, and this really changed my life, Tony, each morning she says to me, Diane, do you forgive me? Hmm. It's just a blanket thing, not even specifically, Diane, do you forgive me? And I say to her, Diane, I forgive you for all your misperceptions. You are a loving person. You know, you're not only deserving of receiving love, but you're very capable of giving it, and I love you. And then we literally embrace in my mind and come together, mind, body, spirit, that day as a whole person. That has been the most healing exercise because, Tony, one of the biggest questions and most frequently asked ones is, how do I forgive myself? Hmm. And one of the other things people can do is take a little picture of themselves, put it by the mirror in the morning when they're going to look at it, and uh, shave or you know comb their hair or whatever, and give love to that image, especially one maybe of a child when they were really in a lot of pain. Interesting. So if someone starts their day by centering and just really being in a place where they love themselves and they're willing to love their environment and they're looking for what's great and what's lovable versus looking for what's wrong, that right. starts the day. As well as having gratitude. There's a wonderful yeah. expression from the Course that says, love is the way I walk in gratitude. And so that I think that the love that we want to receive in our lives, we're able to give that day when we have gratitude. I always feel that also when you're trying to heal a relationship with someone in that exercise in the morning, pray that they get exactly what you want for yourself. <laughs> That's, That's nice. all you got to do. That's nice. So another important yeah. statement I think would be, forgiveness is the key to happiness. That everyone that comes into our lives is a teacher of forgiveness. And reminding ourselves that if we are holding on to unforgiving thoughts, it's really a decision to suffer. Hmm. And we have to ask ourselves, do you still want to suffer? Do I still want to suffer? And we look at that again and say, am I willing to really let go of those grievances? Am I willing to start the slate clean? Yeah. And asking that daily, right. daily not just right. once in a while. Daily. The Absolutely. more you measure something, the better off you are. If you check in once a year, you're going to have a bad year. Right. <laughs> also, I think one of the things that can be done each day is to remember once again, even if you have to write it out on a card and put it up on the refrigerator, that 
which is also the definition of attitudinal healing. It's not people or experiences or events out there in the world that make me upset. It's my own thoughts and attitudes and judgments and perceptions about those people and events that really cause me distress. Primary thing to remember that I am not a victim of the world and also that I'm probably not upset for the reasons I think. That's, yeah, that's a, a real, real helpful one, right? You know, there's a wonderful 18-day mini-course in healing relationships to give us to receive that Jerry created from the course years ago, and it's in many languages now. It's in Chinese, etc., French, German, etc. It's available um, through our center. Fantastic. Give me two more tips. What are two more things going, that people can do Going through the basis? day with the intention of not blaming other people or condemning ourselves. Going through the day with the intention of not judging other people. Well, you have a great phrase in one of your books where you say, it's the guy that's the biggest jerk is the one who needs the most love. <laughs> I know I'm paraphrasing, but that's close. in essence what you say. That, that, that's close. Can you clarify that? Uh, well, you know, who, who can raise their hand and say, I've never been a jerk? That's <laughs> right, I agree with you. So, we're, 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 as Diane said earlier, you know, the perception is, is, is that we see ourselves as a mirror. So, we're really loving ourselves and letting go of that jerk part of ourselves, really. I think the biggest joy that can come in our lives is the decision to be helpful to another person. So we need to ask ourselves, how can we be helpful to another person? How can we bring on a smile? Right. Uh, in my letters, I put little red hearts, and one story was, I sent this to a person who had written me about liking one of my books, and he opened the letter, and he, was on a, he told me he, he was on an elevator, and he just had broken up with his girlfriend, and all these hearts fell on the floor, and all these people in the elevator were helping him pick up the hearts, and it just made him feel so good. Oh, that's so great. So uh, it felt, made me feel good, because in that one small way, if your listeners could find someone they wouldn't want to phone, they, they haven't talked to in three months, just to call them and say how much they cared, how much they loved them, that would do much to bring about self-healing. And I would say, Tony, in, in closing that, in order to really have inner peace, and in order to be a truly successful person on the inside and the outside, we need to have the courage to have a true harmony in what we think, what we say, and what we do every moment of the day. And whenever we find ourselves out of whack or upset and are wondering why, ask ourselves the question, what is it that's not happening? Am I thinking one way and speaking and doing another? And it's bringing those three into harmony that gives us a truly honest, loving, and successful life. I couldn't agree with you more. Let me ask you two last questions if I can. Um, one of those is, what's the single most important lesson that you've learned in your life thus far? We probably covered some of them, but how would you define it? I'd like to hear from each of you, maybe starting with you, Diane. Hmm. I like asking simple questions. Right, it's a wonderful question. <laughs> uh, the one that comes to my mind really is that love is the way that I can walk in gratitude in my life. For now, to be able to look back on every single experience all the ones that I used to think were negative ones, and truly, yes, they, they weren't ones I would you know, redesign again. But I've learned to really not only understand them, but to accept them, embrace them as part of myself, and to say, now, this is the fruit of who I am. This is the fiber of who I am in the world. And to know that every single thing is a positive lesson that I can learn from. Feeling gratitude even for the toughest times. And gratitude for all those people that were my tough teachers, too. Every single one of them has been a wonderful gift. That's great. How about for you, Jerry? For me, it's forgiveness. The, the, the powerful lesson of forgiveness allows me to remember my interconnectedness with God, my source, and to feel a sense of oneness with, with everyone. I, uh, maybe I can end with a story that I, I just heard yesterday, and, and it was a marvelous story. 
that someone was telling us about a family that had a, a baby and, a, and a, a three-year-old daughter. And the three-year-old daughter wanted to go in this room to be alone with the baby. And they're a little concerned because they're really focused on doing that. But right. they, they had one of these uh, machines that they could hear everything went on. Right. So they allowed her to do this. And what they heard the three-year-old say to the baby, he says, remind me about what God is. I'm beginning to forget. Wow. And that was so powerful mm. to me because I believe this is what our life's all about. And every time that I remind myself around the principles we've been talking about, about retraining our mind, to remind ourselves we're not here to attack other people, we're not here to, to interpret other people, we're really here to love and forgive and help others, that I can really remember that I'm really part of this whole process of the universe, that I'm part of creation, and that I can remember God. So I want to be like that, that three-year-old who's learned from the baby who we really are, because they're the wonderful, most wonderful teachers of unconditional love, because they don't judge their parents about whether they're too tall or too short. <laughs> <laughs> they, the parents on the other side are, they, however. They love you just as you are. You know, that, that's what babies are all about. I always like to remind myself, okay, well, I want to keep that innocent child in me alive. That's nice. I think it was Socrates who said, learning is remembering. Mm -hmm. You know, what we're really here to do is just remember what life really is and who we really Absolutely. are. Absolutely. That's nice. How do you guys want to be remembered? Hmm. I don't think I necessarily need to be remembered as a person, but the experience of love that I had here, I know will be remembering. That's nice. I, I don't think it's necessary for me to be remembered either. I, 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 it's just the whole aspect of, of love is, is an eternal aspect. I think we're, to, to know that I'm always interconnected with everyone, and so I don't need anything after I'm gone. That's not what it's all about, because I feel there's a heart connection that's always there. Love always extends and expands and continues, and it never ends with death. It's an exciting time to be alive, too. It sure is. It sure is. Well, I appreciate the privilege of your presence and getting a chance to know you guys and become friends with you. And I hope that people will take advantage of the opportunity to find out more of what you have to share because it's a limited realm, video or audio, and uh, you certainly have a lot more to share with people. And you've already helped millions by uh, living your message, not just talking about it. And I appreciate that very well, much. It's a pleasure being here with you. Well, appreciate your questions. Thank you, Tony. And your, and your humor. We might, also, <laughs> we might also mention, Tony, that there's, I think, 65 centers now around the world, Fantastic. and they're all independent centers, and all the services are free and always have been. So people can call our main center and find out about it. I'd also them. like to show people your book because I think they'd probably love to get this also. It's called One Person Can Make a Difference, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. And I certainly hope people go out and get those. You certainly have... Um, shared with people, as you said, uh, not uh, the need that they have to change, but certainly a great deal of tools, beliefs, values, and attitudes that can make the difference in their ability to make change happen more quickly if they're willing. And uh, hopefully a lot of people listening here are quite willing. I think they are. So thank you very much, and God bless you both. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed by Tony Robbins and hosted by Anna Yorg. Carrie Song is our executive producer. Tyler Culbertson is our associate producer. Brooks Loro is our digital editor. Special thanks to Diane Adcock and Mary Buckheit for their creative review.